Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. When I was a kid, um, there was nothing that made me more frustrated with my dad than when I would go up to him and say, Dad, I am hungry. And he would reply, Hi, hungry. I'm dad. Never been more angry as a child than when I would go to my dad and say, Ugh, I'm tired or I'm bored. And my dad would say, Hi, bored. I'm dad. I hated it. It was the worst thing. And then suddenly I'd start saying, I'm angry. And my dad would say, Hi, angry. It's like he knew. It's like he knew. And then suddenly all I could think about was that thing. And suddenly it was like my dad said that it was my actual name. And then all of a sudden it's the only thing I could think about anymore. I said I was hungry. My dad teased me like a punk about it. And all I could think about how empty my stomach was. Suddenly that became all encompassing. I was just hunger incarnated. Or when my dad would tease me about being bored. I would realize how bored I was with his response. And then suddenly all I could think about was how there was nothing to do except be frustrated with my dad. I hated it. That's all there was. And it made me think, you know, as an adult uh, processing my uh, frustration with my father, like we all do in times of contemplation, uh, realize that, like, in some ways... I did speak that truth into reality. I named myself as something, and suddenly that was the only thing I could think about. And my dad, as a fourth-grade teacher, knew exactly how to poke the 10- and 11-year-olds in his life uh, towards irritation. He was very good at it, very good at it. But now I realize that, like, yeah, when I'm hungry, that is all I'm thinking about. When I'm thirsty, the mind fog that accompanies it is all I can think about. When I'm frustrated, it becomes a part of who I am. And suddenly every other interaction that I have just frustrates me more, even if those people that I'm interacting with are being perfectly pleasant and lovely, I'll receive it as an irritant because what am I? I am irritated. Hello, irritated. I'm dead. That's <laughs> oh, the worst. It's the best way to just force yourself into your head. Um, later on, like when I started to be able to have like more adult conversations with my dad, I learned from him about his education in uh, the early childhood education. Again, he's a fourth grade teacher. And when he was going through uh, college, they were in the middle of doing some of those experiments that some of y'all may have heard about, where the teachers would sort of use their classroom as as an experiment place. And they would arbitrarily choose which, like, eye color was going to be Uh, treated well that day and which eye color the child might have that would force the teachers to treat them as though they were doing something wrong 
all day. Are you familiar with these studies? They're very well published all over. It's a really interesting dynamic. They were trying to demonstrate what happens when you treat a child as though they were the troublemaker. And what they found was just arbitrarily choosing to, you know, pick brown-eyed children to be the troublemaker. By the end of a single day, that child was a troublemaker. They didn't start out that way in the beginning of the day, but because no matter what they did, they got in trouble for it. They just stopped caring about the rules because the boundaries and the rules meant nothing in their life. So why bother? Who are you? I am trouble. It's amazing how the way that we speak over the lives of the people around us has an impact on who they are and who they become. And it's one of the, th- the reasons I'm so inspired by the gospel story that we read today. Um, of course, we didn't read this part, but the very end of the third chapter in Matthew, we see him getting baptized by John. Now, what does John say about Jesus, but just talks about how incredibly faithful and good he's going to baptize the whole world with the Spirit and bring about a new reformation within the people of faith. It's amazing. And then Jesus is baptized, and what does God say from God's own mouth? But this is my Son, my beloved, with whom I find great joy. Who is Jesus? The Son who is beloved, who brings joy to God. And with that identity, Jesus goes into the wilderness. I think that's really amazing how we can speak, God can speak words of grace over our lives and how people can also speak words over our lives. And what often I find is that we're held in the tension between what people think about us or hold over us and what God speaks over us. And that tension between those two identities creates an awful lot of confusion that looks an awful lot like injustice. Because we look at people in our lives and we claim, I know who you are. And who you are is not worthy of my time. And what's most frustrating about that is that that language often shows up in the church. People who claim faith, who are struggling with their own stuff, look at someone who's a little bit, maybe a little bit worse off than them and go, Thank God. Thank God I'm not like them. Thank God. You know, and it even shows up in like delightful little aphorisms, right? Like, I don't mean this with any sort of judgment, but like there's an aphorism around like, you know, uh, I complained about my shoes until I met a guy with no shoes. You know, it's like that perspective. But what's that perspective? It's about how I have something they don't. And thank God for what I have, and they can just deal with themselves later. Not worthy of my care. And I think that simple little perspective-taking attempt starts to become a catalog of who I'm better than, who I'm worse than, 
who I can hold judgment over, who I aspire to be. And we end up walking through the world categorizing people as though we were God, capable of determining someone else's identity, someone else's worth, someone else's value. And I think it's because of that impulse that's been cheerled within churches that we end up with a situation like we're in now, where there's a movement within Christianity to strip away rights and freedoms in order to force and mold the world into a perspective that makes my identity, my relationship with God, my belovedness, the marker to determine everyone else's belovedness around me. Which is why I think it's easy for faithful men to say, well, I would never get an abortion. So therefore, you should never be able to get an abortion. Because at least I wouldn't do that. You see how easy that trail is? As soon as you start defining yourself, or as soon as we start defining ourselves as the beloved categorically and no one else is a part of that beloved circle, the more that we create our individual identity as a person of God, separate from our communal identity as a people of God, we start to categorize. And when we start to categorize, we start to hold judgment. And when we start to hold judgment, we start to attempt holding power. Do you see that path? Which is why it's so important to, within the church, maintain our collective identity as a people of God who are far from perfect ourselves. Following in the footsteps of Christ, who demonstrates what humility looks like, not the pursuit of power. This temptation story is amazing because what happens, right? Jesus fasts for 40 days and for 40 nights. I have myself made it like two days miserably into a fast. I don't know how long y'all have tried to fast, but it is a rough go. Uh, if you're a person like me who needs, um, I'll say I have a fast metabolism. That's why, but really I just love eating. Again, my dad named me hungry, so I am hungry all the time. That is my core identity from my parents. Uh, hi, hungry. I'm dad. Um, I can't remember what I was saying. Uh, but anyway, Jesus finishes this fast, right, in the delirium that I can only assume that would come from 40 days and 40 nights of not eating anything, and the, the devil shows up. I don't know your theology about the devil. I, day by day, am growing to really get it. I get it now more than I have before. The devil is a, a character in scripture that shows up as the embodiment of temptation away from God's vision for the world. And the temptation away from God's vision for our lives. That can show up in a lot of different ways. I don't think the devil has horns and a pitchfork, but 
Let me tell you, sometimes the devil looks like a good friend who's trying to get you to just, you know what I mean? Anyway, so the devil shows up. The devil shows up, whoever that may be, and offers Jesus power to fix his own situation. The first bit of power is power over the elements of creation itself. You can turn the stone into food. You'll never be hungry like this again. And Jesus refuses it. Jesus doesn't want to hold power over creation that way because Jesus is the beloved disciple who brings God joy. And what brings God joy but loving God and loving neighbor perfectly. Does this love God and love neighbor? No, I will not do it. Then the devil brings Jesus to a high peak and says, if you cast yourself down, the angels will come to care for you. And uh, you can see the same thing. The devil is offering Jesus power over the heavens themselves. And Jesus, the same categories. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the beloved son of God who brings God happiness. What brings God happiness? To serve your neighbor and to serve God. To love God with your whole heart, whole soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Does this do that? No. Absolutely, I will not do it. And then a third time, the devil, temptation embodied itself, comes to Jesus and brings him to the height of a mountain to look out over all of the kingdoms and nations of the world and says, you can have command over all of this. Power stolen from people, right? Again, power over the elements of creation, power over the heavens above us, and power over the people who inhabit the earth. And Jesus, with the same categories, who am I? I am God's beloved son who brings God happiness. What does that mean? I serve God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I serve my neighbor as myself. Does holding power over the people around me do either one of those things? No. So Jesus will not do it, will not coercively hold power over the people who inhabit the earth, will not coercively hold power over the angels who have already devoted themselves to God's vision in Jesus's life, will not hold power over the elements of creation, which Jesus will soon use to teach people and heal people and love people. But what does Jesus know about this moment? If he took up any one of those, it would be about serving himself and not serving God and serving the neighbors around him. And the way the story ends is so beautiful. Jesus refuses to take up this power over and the devil leaves and who shows up those same angels that were offered to him in temptation show up to care for him as he recovers from this temptation and from this fast are you connecting these dots here who are we through Christ we are adopted into the family of God, taking on the identity of Christ if we live in this faith. Who are we? Beloved children of God, who bring God great joy.
with that identity, what do we do? We love God with our whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, whole strength, and serve our neighbors as ourselves. If this world were simple enough to only have that identity spoken over us, I can only imagine the grace and wholeness and love that would permeate through every part of the fabric of our creation. But instead, we hear messages from beyond God's throne room of judgment, of condemnation, of worthlessness. And we experience those same temptations individually and collectively to take up power over the elements of earth itself, to wield God for our own ends, and to hold power over the people that we share this life with. So the question that each of us is left with is which identity will we claim? Which is true? Which will we live into? A hunger that can't be satiated for my own comfort or a deep burning passion for the love of God and love of neighbor? That question will guide everything about how we interact with the world around us on a daily basis. And so may it challenge us all. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org. Would you join me in our prayer?